1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Let's go. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Keep going. Amen, amen, amen. In this second installment of our series on justice, race, and the gospel, I want to tag this text today, Race Matters. Race Matters. Let's, 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 let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you and honor you and bless you and lift you up uh, because you are God. You are the God of the universe, and you, uh, the earth is your footstool. And so, God, we get a chance to uh, be under your authority by reality, not by uh, happenstance, because you have drafted us, this ironclad, motley crew of multi-ethnic people groups from different backgrounds, cultures, economics, to be under one roof, uh, and that is the temple of the living God. And I just pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, that you would open our eyes and that, uh, and that you, would, you would subjugate our presuppositions to the gospel. God, that you would confront us and that your word would offend for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons, Lord God. And Lord God, that you would come in and that you would begin to show us blind spots in how we operate in a way that's not befitting of the cross, in ways that's not befitting of your resurrection, as it is not befitting of representation of you in holiness and righteousness and peace, God. We ask these things and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. And Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in uh, your sight, oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, I could remember in school uh, daily reciting a statement that we would do to begin our classes in elementary school that was written by Francis Bellamy uh, in 1892. You know what it is. You would put your right hand over your heart, and you would raise your left hand, and you would say uh, these words, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Okay. Uh-huh. For who? 
For who? For who? Ah, for all. Um, the part about under God was changed and added by one of our presidents in the 1930s uh, to add the ideology of connecting the epistemology of the ideals of our country under uh, what some would call a Judeo-Christian value system or under God. And we've seen uh, throughout the years that as this has been said that in the middle of 1892, although the abolition of slavery had taken place, um, there, there was still a lot of issues in our country that subjugated uh, ethnicities that were not Anglo under a substratum of a lack of imago Dei that God demands based on all of us being born into the image of God. Um, and so we find ourselves looking into this mirror, if you will, as a country and dealing with all that we're dealing with today um, on the issue of race. And it is important that we recognize that those are, we, it's supposed to be indivisible, but we find ourselves in great divisiveness. We find ourselves culturally and ethnically and religiously and spiritually on the dividing ends of different issues that happen that causes our theology not to, not to, not to be engaging the, the, the practical and destructive ethics of Western culture. Um, a, a, a book that I'm going through right now uh, by George uh, Fredrickson on racism, A Short History, is a very, very helpful book that's helping frame the way that we think about racism in this country and where race actually comes from. It really talks about in this book that race is a racism or race is a phenomenon created by Western culture that began in the Middle Ages um, um, but, but, but got, had its depth of formation during the American slavery system and in the bringing of African Americans to the United States. Um, he has a lot, of, lot to say about this. I'm going to read a few quotes from him as we frame uh, what we're going to talk about today as race matters. Don't close out on me now because I'm talking about, I see some of y'all closed already. Open right on up because we're going to get in the book and see what God has to say. But let's frame some sociological premises in the mighty name of Jesus to help us to recognize how we got to where we got to today. Amen, somebody. Here we go. The term racism is often used in a loose unreflective way to describe the hostile or negative feelings of one ethnic group or people toward another and the actions resulting from such attitudes. He says, but sometimes the in, uh, 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 antipathy of one group towards another is expressed and acted upon with a single-mindedness and brutality that go far beyond the group-centered prejudice and snobbery that seems to constitute all, an almost universal human failing. He keeps going, he says, but racism, as, a con as I conceive it, it is not merely an attitude or set of beliefs. It also expresses itself in practices, institutions, structures that a, 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 that a sense of deep difference justifies or validates. Racism, therefore, is more than theorizing about human differences or thinking badly of a group over one, has, uh, one who has no control. It either directly sustains or proposes, listen, to establish a racial order, a permanent group hierarchy that is believed to reflect the laws of nature or the decrees of God. Racism is therefore not merely xenophobia. Yeah. 
Get that? Xenophobia pointing to a phobia of other people types, right? Or other genetic makeups. He says, a term invented by the Greeks to describe a reflexive feeling of hostility to the stranger or other. Xenophobia may be a starting point upon which racism can be constructed, stay with me please, but it is not the thing itself. For an understanding of the emergence of Western racism in the late Middle Ages and early modern period, a clear distinction between racism and religious tolerance is crucial. What is he saying here? He's basically saying that xenophobia or being against another ethnic group is different than racism. Uh, a person, uh, a, a personhood of a person is now denounced based on their value. So he said, it's not that you don't just like that other ethnicity, that, that, that's gone on for centuries. I don't like that tribe, I don't like those people group. But what racism does is racism see, uh, seeks to subjugate a particular group of people as being fundamentally flawed. And in being fundamentally flawed, you are less than that other group, which justifies your disposition of superiority. Are you trekking with me today? And so, and so but, but, but the sad part about it is it, this would be okay in a sense, philosophically, if it only stuck in the world. But it's made its way into the church. It's made its way into the church in ways that are embarrassing um, 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 uh, very, very embarrassing. So interestingly enough, the Schofield Bible, an old Bible uh, from about 1912 to 17, was a Bible that was one of the most popular evangelical Bibles in Christianity. And he had a lot of notes in the bottom, and it was widely read by blacks and whites. But he had an unfortunate statement based on this idea of the curse of Ham. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, it says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. This is his note based on his theology and exegesis of his understanding of the passage. Schofield wrote, writes, a prophetic declaration is made that Japheth will descend the enlarged races in 927 through government, science, and art, speaking broadly, are and have been Japhetic so that history is indisputable record of the exact fulfillment of these declarations. What is he saying? He's saying Ham was cursed to, uh, to be subjugated to Japheth. Japheth is the father, y'all tracking with me? Is the father of Europeans. Uh, Shem is the father of the Semitic peoples, and Ham was the father of African peoples. Because of uh, Ham looking upon the nakedness of his father Noah, he says that God is cursing Ham. But the text did not say that God was cursing Ham. It says, listen, that God cursed Canaan. 
But evangelical Christians in our country utilize this philosophy to, to, really, to really broaden the reality of the fact that ethnic minorities, particularly African Americans, descendants of slaves, are comprehensively inferior to them based on a biblical trajectory of being cursed. And some of us will say, well, I don't believe that in my mind, but however, it doesn't matter. Just like Farrakhan did a number on black people in the inner city to be against Christianity because it's intellectually and ideologically and epistemologically left field, and that I still, and many of us, white and black in the neighborhood who share the gospel, still have to cross uh, the fact that Christianity isn't a white man's religion. Christianity was, it, it was formed by people. We have to fight through those. But Farrakhan's sociological ignorance has made its way into putting up a gap between people in the inner city who would be God's elect to be able to receive the gospel. We have to first break down the sociological and epistemological barriers that have made its way into the ideology, uh, ideology of their minds, just as with many of our Anglo brothers brothers and sisters, we have to work through the functional and systemic ideologies that have been embedded in homes, that have been embedded in cafeterias, that have been embedded in locker rooms, that have been embedded on walls, that have been written on the bathroom stalls of rooms, that, that, that is still making its way and permeating its way into how blacks are viewed. So we come to this passage, I believe that really helps lay the hammer down for everybody. It helps become the mighty equalizer for what our identity is. Uh, the reason why some people say, and I'm getting into this, is the reason why many say when you, when you talk about the black church, and I'll be out of my introduction on this part, but I have to lay this foundation. There's no such thing as a black church. I understand what you mean by that. <clears throat> But the reason why there is a black church is because white Christianity in our country demeaned the value of African Americans. And the only place where a black man and a black woman could find value was at the invisible church under the tree during slavery. That's why when you go to a black church, they, everybody has a title. Because during the week, it comes from that. Comes from that. It comes. Somebody, why you gotta call you pastor? It comes from the fact that you were nigger during the week. You were boy during the week. You were coon during the week. But when you bought your Sunday suit and put your Sunday suit on, and you walked through the doors with a crickly Bible, you were deacon so and so, brother so and so, sister so and so, reverend so. And that legacy even impacts me. Even today in the white church, you can call a guy Bill. Don't come to no bl black leader and talk about some Bill. <laughs> be because culturally, it, it, it means that you're equalizing yourself as not being under spiritual authority. And that's the damage that racism has done in this country. And, 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 and so now we come to this passage where we're looking at the multi-ethnic diaspora of God's people, 
um, there has been a lot that has transpired that has caused um, people to have to deal with a whole bunch of issues, and the church got scattered all over the place, and Peter, being a great leader and a pastor, wanted to make sure that in the midst of their persecution under the Emperor Nero, who was using, who was impaling Christians and rubbing them down with oil and lighting them to light his camp at night, because Christians' identity was being culturally destroyed because, because the world was against all Christians, cross-ethnically, Christians had to be together. They couldn't afford to say, well, you from this side of the track. Well, you don't make as much money as me. All of us was catching hell. And because all of us was catching hell, we clustered together so we can have a little bit of heaven on earth. <laughs> so, so, so Peter is writing to them, and he writes in verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, while he's under persecution, he has to remind himself of his identity because persecution can make you forget who you are. Help me today, God. He said to those who are elect exiles. Now, this is interesting that he would call them elect exiles. Elect means chosen. Exiles means you've been ostracized. In other words, he calls them chosen rejects. Ain't you glad God chose you as a reject? (laughs) You see, some of y'all looking at me funny. The reason why God chose you is because of himself, not because of you. Not because of how fine you are, not because of how cute you think you are, not because of your degrees, not because your ethnic background, not because you deserved him, but because of the goodness of God found in Jesus Christ, that he looked at your faults, saw your need, and gave you Jesus. So so you're, you're a reject. But you're no longer a reject because it stands in paradox. You're a reject, yet you're chosen. Help me today, God. Somebody should have worshiped right there. You're a reject, but you're chosen. That's what the gospel does for us. The gospel takes people who are not and makes them are. That's, that's what the gospel does. And so, and so as he goes through really his theological treaties, through their valuing being ancient slaves in a world that hates them, It's normal for Christians to be hated. It bewilders me at how much we want to be liked. We we, we will do anything to be cool in the world's eyes, but it's nothing wrong with being rejected. And so Peter starts with Jesus. Look at this verse. I got one point. I promise you, I am out of your way. Verse number one, God defines race based on our connection to Jesus, not our ethnicity. That's the point. God, God defines race, <clears throat> and we'll see deeply in this passage. God defines race based on our connection to Jesus, not our ethnicity. Now, I didn't say he ignored our ethnicity, but don't ignore ethnicity because we're going to have them in eternity. Remember last week. However, but our ethnicity doesn't inform our identity. Look at what he says. As you come <coughs> to him... That is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Listen how he lines up elect exiles with Jesus' identity in his incarnation. He talks about the fact that he sent Jesus Christ to earth on our behalf to represent him uh, to the world, to show him off, yet it says as he, came, he said, you came to him as a living stone. In other words, God, the Bible says that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. 
<clears throat> so if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, <clears throat> God has drawn you and the Holy Ghost has made Jesus attractive to you enough for you to value him <clears throat> as Lord and Savior. But it says, <clears throat> rejected by men. Now, now this is interesting. Jesus can deeply empathize with the brokenness of what's going on in our world in relation to racial prejudice. Because we look at all these videos, I mean, it's a new video every day <clears throat> of somebody being shot by the not money that was in the wheelchair, he should have just put his hands up, all right? So I ain't talking about that, but, but when you look at the life of Jesus, <clears throat> the, the, God, the, the people that are going through <clears throat> unjust court systems don't forget about Jesus went through three. Jesus went through three unjust trials. Not for, not for going to jail, but the death penalty. He went to, the, 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 the Sanhedrin had an illegal meeting at night and hit him illegally. Can you, the dude smacked Jesus in the face. He said, how are you talking, you, you're talking crazy to the high priest not knowing that there was a priest that he was smacking that was after the order of Melchizedek, the eternal priesthood, that was going to shut this down. He's, he back smacks Jesus in the face, and Jesus takes it. He takes it. Then he's purported, he's kept up all night. He's flogged the next morning, but before he's flogged, he's taken to Pilate. <coughs> Pilate said, I ain't fooling with him. I don't find anything. I wash my hands. He goes to Herod. Herod says, take him back to Pilate. He takes him to Pilate. He gets condemned to death. So he goes, how many of us ever seen dudes just sit in prison for Jesus had a quick court case. And Jesus was rejected by the nation and the world. So there is no one on the planet that can empathize with judicial rejection like our Lord. No one can, no one can relate to it. He made the people that rejected him. He made the hand that slapped him. He spoke into existence the catadine whip that pulled the skin off his back. He called into existence the wood that grew out of the wood that he originally spoke into existence that he got crucified on and was rejected since he was rejected by men. In other words, his value before unredeemed humanity was rejection. But look at what it says here, and this is building the theological foundation for us. But it says, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. I like the fact that Jesus, listen, didn't base his identity off of what people viewed him as. Us in the church, ethnic minorities, you must not view your value based on your ascribed value. Ethnic majority, you must promote equality of Imago Dei of your brothers and sisters who are ethnic minorities as chosen and precious equally because of what Christ has made available to us. And we'll see so, so beautifully in the next part of this and that Jesus was rejected and is still rejected in so many ways. He's reduced to a prophet. He's reduced to a teacher. He's reduced to, uh, in pictures of being a, a, a clean-skinned white guy with no defect. He was a carpenter. How does a carpenter have dishpan hands? <clears throat> anyway, I'll pass some of y'all. In Isaiah 53, it says nobody wanted to look at him. 
Nobody wanted to look at this guy. He was a mess. Nobody wanted to identify with him. What, how does Christ identify with this reality? Let's look in verse 5. It says, you yourselves like living stones, like living stones, it's key, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is powerful. So he's talking to, all, he's talking to a multi-ethnic group of people about their identity together under their persecution. He says, you are living stones, meaning that every time someone trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, there is an eternal temple that's not a physical temple. The temple in eternity are us. We are the stones of the eternal temple that the Spirit will fill forever. Anyway, anyway, that's, that's beautiful for me. And that's being. Why does it say being built up? Because as we missiologically engage lost people, another brick is added to the eternal temple for the Spirit to fill. Now that means that all of us must be cross-ethnically sharing the gospel. That means that you can't just share with people that you only have a burden for ethnically. If the house is going to be built, you're supposed to be proclaiming and throwing seed everywhere. As a matter of fact, it may be a sanctification issue for you if you only share the gospel with people like you. It's sanctification because the temple is made up of all different types of colored bricks. I mean, sometimes when I go into Center City, I'm rocked by the architecture in Philadelphia. Like, there are dudes that don't they ain't even live in no more that, that, that carved one piece of stone that goes into one column from stone. But we're carved by the death of Christ. <laughs> and every time you proclaim the gospel to a lost person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, they are carved and laid without any cement except for the blood, of the, without any uh, 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 coagulate that would hold it together uh, or emulsifier, but the blood of Christ that holds us together cross-ethnically. <laughs> That's why we, this is why we talk about race issues. Because we're going to have to spend eternity together, and we might as well get used to each other. Well, I'm going to wait till I get there. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm saved. Shoot, I ain't fooling with nobody else, you know, until I go to eternity because I don't feel comfortable. Well, God sent persecution to these people who were on the day of Pentecost, and they tried to stay in Jerusalem and remain comfortable. But in chapter 8, verse 1, God sends persecution to make them uncomfortable. I think God is going to send some nice heat to earth, some nice heat to our comfort American uh, 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 dream to break us out of our comfort zone of our own ethnic preferences. Oh, y'all, y'all quiet on this part. <laughs> and, and he's going to mess you up. You, you, you like, I, I don't fool with white people like that. You know what I'm saying? I love, I love everybody. That's funny to me. <clears throat> I love everybody. But you know how they are. Oh, y'all, y'all don't, don't act like oh, y'all got real quiet African-Americans on that part. This ain't just for the white people. This is for everybody. Amen. Everybody say something about another ethnicity when they're only around their ethnicity. That's very prejudiced. <clears throat> and it plays, oh, shh, somebody white over there. Shh, there's a black dude over there, man. You just said that he going to punch you in your face, man. <laughs> Chill out, Right? But the Bible talks about us being living stones. It didn't tell us we were black stones, white stones, 
red stones, blue stones, yellow. It says you are living stones are being built as a spiritual house. A spiritual house. This is temple imagery. The first temple were, were altars. We're from altars to tabernacles. Then it went to the Salmonic temple, from the Salmonic temple to the second temple, from the second temple to the Herodian temple. And now Christ came as the prototype of the new community of the first one to be fully filled with the fullness of God. And when he died on the cross, was raised from the grave, was going to dispense the spirit so that all of us would be multifaceted tabernacles to his name. So you're a tabernacle. You're a tabernacle of God's presence. So when you speak against another ethnicity, you're not speaking against their background. You're speaking against the presence of God. Spiritual house. Spiritual house. He says, that's what we're being built into. He said, we will be a holy priesthood. Priesthood is powerful. Because a priesthood, priesthood does a lot of things. It carries on the theological traditions of the faith and hands it down from generation to generation. It carries the core tenets. It facilitates worship. It dedicates its whole life to the service of God. It deals with sin in community, and it communicates thanksgiving to God on behalf of the community, and it shares God's word. Since to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, I like this. There are several types of sacrifices that we give to God multi-ethnically. Number one, we give the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 say we praise together. Together. Sacrifice of self, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We give ourselves as a sacrifice. That means, that automatic, all both of those already means discomfort. In other words, to be a priest giving sacrifices to God means you're going to be uncomfortable because God is going to always come against your flesh. I like the fact that it says spiritual sacrifices because it means it's unseen sacrifices. You ever had God have you do something and you're real uncomfortable, but you know he told you to do it, and when you try not to do it, the Holy Ghost boxes your soul? You you ever had a Holy Ghost hook? You ever had one of them things where you knew the Lord? No, that's the devil. The, uh, The devil is a liar. Then you walk away, and, you're, and inside of you, you almost feel crippled. And the Holy Ghost be going, I mean, he be Mike Tyson in like your liver. Krakakos, you know what I'm saying? You be like, ah, 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 ouch, ouch. You be like, then he puts you in like a, 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 like a depth-defined submission move of the soul. And, and until you move the direction that he wants you to move, he will not let you go. That's called a sacrifice. And that's what we're called to do as a multi White people don't sacrifice more than blacks, and blacks don't sacrifice more than whites. Asians don't sacrifice more than other Asians or Europeans or Africans. Everybody has to equally sacrifice. I like the way he talks about them as a multi-clad group in verse 1, but then talks to them in unity in this part of the passage. He doesn't make ethnic distinctions on them or give a caste system of development on based on your caste level, your sacrifice is different. He doesn't have any type of spiritual apartheid for different people groups. He doesn't have subsidized uh, 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 things uh, 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 because God equally dispenses to all of us to honor and glorify him in sacrifice. So not only is it sacrifice and praise and we sacrifice 
In self, we sacrifice in generosity, Hebrews 13, 16. We give. We give. We resource. We minister. We honor. We take care of. We, we do what the community is called to do. We do stuff until it hurts. And what does that do? Does that earn us salvation? No. It's because of what Christ has done for us. It's in response to what Christ has done for us. And so that means that sometimes <coughs> in being a believer, <coughs> you're going to have to put your theology before your ethnicity. Th- th- that, that is, and, and some of you are going to be viewed as sellouts to your people. Because you're fighting to push forward God's agenda versus an ethnic agenda. And that means that we have to be willing, and I'm going to get to this later, a prophetic community. And I'm not just talking about the prophet, talking about somebody going to get a house or a car. Listen, somebody in here, I just, mm. Mm. somebody in here just got, and you're just going to make up some general thing that can happen to like 100 people. But the prophetic community points to us being representatives of an alternative counter-cultural community. That means you're going to be weird. We'll talk about that in a second. That you're going to come off as weird. Look at what Paul says. He says, he says, for it stands, behold, I am laying a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be shamed. I love this. Culturally ostracized in the spirit. Look at what he says. Look, go, go, go down to what he says in verse 8. He said, in a stumbling stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I like the way he keeps saying you are, y'all, plural, are a, singular. I like that. Y'all, plural, are a. Now, when he talks about race, race is interesting here. He says chosen race. And so now God views race differently. I'm going to get ready to close on this. God views race totally differently than the world. Because when I was in school, they taught that there are several people groups. There's Negroid, Mongoloid, and Caucasoid. Those are three different races. That's what they taught us. Some of y'all might not even remember that because you were asleep during that class. <laughs> and they said, and within those races is how people spread out. Mongoloid are the Asians, Negroid are the Africans, Caucasoid are the white folks, right? So, the, so, but, but then, in our practical understanding of race, we spread out races even m- more than that, just on practically how we think about nationalities now, right? But in the Bible, there's only two. In the Bible, there's only two races. Redeemed, unredeemed. The word race here in the Greek means of the same kind, of genetic code. Do you know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and someone's ethnically different beside you, and then somebody's ethnically the same beside you, 
and the person that's ethnically the same as you don't know Jesus is on this side, and the person that's ethnically different on the other side knows Jesus, you have more in common spiritually with the person that's not of your ethnicity, but of your spiritual ethnicity. That's just the reality of this thing. But that's a hard reality in how we're socialized. And a part of our sanctification is to realize the spiritual commonality that God has gave us through the blood type of Jesus Christ that others, all of us, none of us, I'm going to close on this. This is just a free theological nugget. Jesus says in the Gospels, when he eats some fish and they look at him, he stick his, and Thomas said, I don't, I don't believe. He said, unless, he stuck his hand in the side. He said, oh my God. He said, he said, what you see right here is flesh and bones. The Bible says we'll be like him. Have a new body, new spirit, all of that. When we get our new body, we won't need blood. Because we're covered by it. What animates our body will be the renewing power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And that has been done because Christ's blood type has washed all of our ethnicities. And therefore, we no longer need. Why does I say that? Because the law says life is in the blood. That's what the book says, right? But because of Christ, his life is in the blood. Once you're washed with it, you no longer need in eternity to be animated by blood because you're eternally covered by Christ's blood. Therefore, you and I have his same DNA. What is that DNA? Holiness, righteousness, peace, power, strength, new body, withstanding the wrath of God. Being able to be in his light forever, our genetic code in Christ will give us the ability to worship God forever. And everybody, there will be no spiritual inferiority. Everybody will equally be able to learn from God. Why am I saying this? Because we need our doggone minds renewed on this issue. Mine too. I got ethnic issues, prejudice issues that God's sanctifying me in too. So I'm preaching to me too. And you and I need to admit, no matter how you think, some of y'all say, well, I have a black friend or I have a white friend and I'm not racist. I didn't put you in slavery. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. All of us, no matter how free thinking we think we are, have racial prejudice that we need the gospel. Yours may not be as someone else's is, but you don't look at what it's, I'm not the lynching guy. Like, I'm not going to lynch a black person. I'm the black guy. I'm not the guy that's going to pull the guy out of the truck when Rodney King and beat the white guy up. It doesn't matter. All of us got issues we need the Lord to work through. Amen. Just a few things, and I'm done. Who are your friends? We have one friend that don't look like you? Do you have one person of a different ethnicity you ever prayed with? It's real quiet. You have one person in your circle 
that you could talk about your ethnic frustrations with and then not be judged, but there can be mutuality and talking through and working through how the gospel deals with those issues. One person, one person. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about on a spiritual connection. I'm not talking about, we eat, we like cheeseburgers. <laughs> See, we're unified. He likes pepper jack and I like pepper jack. No, I mean, no. How are you building unity with people that aren't from your same economic background? How are you building with people that don't have your same educational level? I ain't hanging around them because I have a doctorate. I'm not hanging around them because I live in Center City in a loft. And they're on public assistance. I wouldn't let them in my house. Wow. What? Them, huh? If you use them a lot, you don't understand the gospel. You don't. So my prayer is, is that this would be more than just a Sunday morning gathering of multi-ethnicity. Life groups, outreaches, going to conferences. I don't want to hear any more about a lack of diversity until all ethnicities are participating as a covenant community member. I don't want to hear nothing about it. That's what I want to see. And when that happens, then we can say, where's the diversity? It's very quiet in here. I'm praying that God challenges us at our core to be a new community that God has created us to be. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't plant this church for it to be a multi-ethnic church. God made it one. Because guess what? People were sharing the gospel with people that didn't look like them and bringing people that didn't look like them. That's why you in here. It wasn't because of some vision for multi-ethnicity from man. It's because of God's work. Amen. Father, we thank you. Um, challenge us. Disrupt us. This is tough. Am I saying, God, that every church has to be multi-ethnic? No. But I'm saying because our multi-ethnicity, because our multi-ethnicity is in this church, we need to see it expand. I'm even, I feel something in my flesh even as I talk about this. Um, but I know it's right. I just want to give a call to you today. The church, I'm talking to the church. First off, I'm going to talk to the non, maybe you don't know Christ the Savior. Maybe you're here, you don't know Christ the Savior. You haven't ever put your confidence in him. I don't care what background you're from. He saves from the utmost to the utmost. He died on the cross for all races and all creeds. And somebody may say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm from several backgrounds. My mom is this, my dad is this, but that don't matter. He died for you too. You're going to be in heaven too. Even every ethnic mix is going to be up in the kingdom. <laughs> if you're here today and you want to put your confidence in what Christ did on the cross, what Christ did for you on the cross, by dying for your sin, everybody here is equally a mess.
and is in desperate need of Jesus Christ's finished work. And God took out his anger on Jesus on the cross as a Jew because it was promised in the Bible, but it was for everybody. If you're here today and you've never put your confidence in what Christ did on the cross for you to crush the beef between you and God by dying for your sins and pouring out his anger for your sin, being buried and then being raised up on the third day, if that's you and you want to put your confidence in Jesus Christ today, hold your hand real high in the air. I would be honored. We would be honored to pray for you and talk to you about what it means to place your confidence in Christ and Christ alone in the pardon of your sins. Anyone, anyone here today that says, I, I know that I, if I died today, I wouldn't be in God's presence. Hell is going to be multi-ethnic too. God's wrath equally pours out on those who don't know him. No one is saved because of their ethnicity. Everybody was born wrong. David says, I was conceived in my mother's womb in sin. <laughs> Everybody. And that goes for all of us. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ and you want to spend eternity in a relationship with the living God, nothing saves you but him. Slip your hand in the air. Amen. Well, believers, I want to challenge us right now. And I'm not going to pump a prime. I want us to pray together. And if you know that God walked down your street quite a bit today in confronting your prejudice, every head bowed, every eye closed, confronting your prejudice, confronting the fact that at times, and maybe you're not clear on it, and that's okay. If you're not clear, but you got a sense of something, this is for you too. Um... you're here today and you said, I, I know that I need God to work out some of my prejudices, not, not some of them, but really all of them. I want you to stand. I want to pray with you. Have prejudices. I want to thank, first of all, my whites who are standing. I want to really thank you for that. I want to thank you. It takes a lot of boldness here. Black people, we, we'll stand, but it's, it's a blessing to see my white brothers and sisters who are standing and saying, I got some prejudices that I need God to work through. Anyone else, any ethnicity. It's not just a white thing, black thing. It's Haitian, Asian, uh, European. I have some prejudices and some, some things that I just, I really know is I was taught this sort of in my house when I grew up to watch out for those people on both sides of the track. If you have issues with people that aren't in the same economic bracket as you, stand. I want to pray. Let's pray together people that are just on different sides of the fence, and you make assumptions about how they ended up in those circumstances. You need to repent of that. Anyone else? If you have issues with even gender issues, with people, you view women in a barbaric way, or you view men in a tyrannical way, and you feel like the way to fight that is to fight that sociologically, not theologically. Stand. I see you guys standing. Anybody else before I, I stop praying? If you feel the Holy Ghost even tugging you anyway, just stand up. Like, don't just stop wrestling. Just go ahead and pop up. Thank you for popping up. Thank you guys for popping up. 
If you're wrestling, you don't even know what it is, but you know the Holy Spirit is saying to you in your heart, I'm talking to you. Even if you don't know what it is, he'll make it clear. Thank each and every one of you for your boldness. Thank each and every one of you for your boldness. I want us to pray today. I want us to pray together today that the Lord God Almighty will, and this is not something that you just get over. This is something that you have to mortify and confront over and over and over and over and over again. Maybe you're African-American and you're sitting there and you're saying, I actually have a right to feel like I do about white people. Have a right. Look at what they've done throughout history. God is speaking to you to stand up. You have the right to be angry. You don't have the right to be bitter. Stand. Stand. If you were trained in, in superiority against others, stand. Thank you all for standing up. If you've had an atrocity happen to you as an African-American, or you've seen it happen, and you, you, you like, to be honest, you are really, really, you're wrestling with, with, like, how to even process this. But you know you're angry, you know you're bitter, you know you're frustrated, and you know that you strategically alienate yourself from people of other ethnicities because you don't trust them. Stan. You've had the police pull over your friend or your brother or... And for the white that has a deep empathy for even African-American struggles, yet you find yourself bitter towards white, white your own people, you need to stand. Because <laughs> bitterness isn't justified no matter the sin. <laughs> Let's go before our God. Mighty one, this is complex. I, I, I absolutely do not have all the answers. I, the only thing I know is that the gospel is sufficient. <clears throat> That's really all I know. All I know is that the gospel is sufficient to attack these brokenness items in our culture and in our world. And we have found ourselves really apathetic. I think that's the key word. Um, <clears throat> that some become apathetic because of the self-destructive activities among certain segments of the African-American population. So it almost can feel like See, that's what I'm talking about. This is justified, how I feel. So I won't even confront that. Because they destroy themselves. A broad sweep. Then on the other side, <clears throat> when someone sees systemic racism and injustice, they say, see, my hatred of those people are justified. Because all they do is this, this, that, and the third. God, confront us. God, deal with us, and I, I don't even know what this looks like, but bring revival. Amen. Bring Holy Spirit revival. Bring revival, God. Please. 
a revival that so exalts Christ above our backgrounds and our pride. I'm not saying, God, that we don't appreciate where you've placed us because you've marked off the boundaries of where we have been placed. So that's not what I'm saying, God. But I am saying that we all have strongholds about race in us that are really silent killers of our joy. Every sin leads to death, God. And I'm praying that you would refresh us with new life through helping us to report our ills to you. And God, I'm praying that in our ministry, I know it can sometimes feel extremely transient because people are coming through and people are staying and people are coming, and, and that type of thing, and different type of people groups come in here, and it's wonderful. But I'm praying, Lord, that in the long term of this ministry, that you would teach us how to live together in peace. That you would teach us how to assume good of one another. Help us to let people's actions show who they are, not our assumptions of a broad stroke because of their background. Um, God, you said we'd worship you forever. And I'm, I'm praying that we recognize that forever started when we trusted Jesus. God, teach us based on the word, how to lift our hands in an undefiling way. Help us to give authentic holy hugs and holy kisses to one another in purity and holiness as a body and community. Help us if we misunderstood something culturally or ethnically to talk about it, not talk about it to someone else, but engage that particular individual or groups of people about anything that we're feeling that's weird. Maybe in that, somebody will repent. Or maybe in the misunderstanding, you'll reveal to us our prejudices. And then help the person that feels the prejudice not to go off in the bitterness that exists in them, but to find their way to Calvary's Hill, holding hands with their brother or sister in Christ so that they both may be healed. God, we love you. We don't know what in the world we're doing. All we're asking is for the Holy Spirit to make sense of how destructive we can be and lead us in the way of holiness and righteousness and peace and love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. 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 Amen.